You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. This is an interview episode with the conscious comedian J.P. Sears. We share an almost hour-long conversation ranging from the beginning of the spiritual journey to the state of the yoga world in our contemporary age and walk the narrow line between appropriate and inappropriate humor in different circumstances. And I, of course, shared a few laughs with JP. I mean, how could you not with his witty, somewhat sarcastic and self-deprecatory sense of humor? And uh, we also talked about some really, really pertinent topics right now, everything from the coronavirus COVID-19 situation to some really poignant issues in the yoga world today. And I hope you really enjoy this conversation and that you find a little bit of inspiration for the spiritual journey. Hey, everyone. It's Kino here. This is the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. And today I've got a really special guest. It's the comedian, conscious comedian, J.P. Spears. And I hope we'll be sharing a good amount of laughs. And as everyone knows, the Yoga Inspiration Podcast is primarily we talk about the student's journey. So, J.P., thanks for joining Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you for saying that I'm a special guest. That makes me feel better about myself and slightly more narcissistic, which I love. (laughs) Awesome. Well, those are good qualities that we always want to cultivate in the yoga practice. You know, narcissists Um, high on the list of, you know, the the, the paramitas in Buddhism and also the eight limbs that's unspoken in there. So Yeah, it does trace back to narcissism. You're right. Absolutely. Well, we've already got our first laugh, so that's that's the check off my list. Awesome. <laughs> so, JP, your videos are so funny, and your comedy is so funny, particularly for people in the kind of spiritual circles and in the yoga circles. And you know, one thing that I find is really useful about humor is it makes something that seems like mysterious and lofty so much more approachable. So. Yeah. What's the motivation for your kind of conscious comedy that pokes fun at the spiritual world and the yoga world? Where did that come from? Yeah, honestly, it came from me needing to bring myself down to earth. So when I started making my comedy videos, you know, the first one I put out was called How to Be Ultra Spiritual. And at first glance, it might seem like, oh, JP's making fun of spirituality. But no, like my spiritual life's always been super important to me, but what my comedy started off being, and I think it continues this to this day, is it's my way of shining the light of awareness on my own egotistical nature that infiltrates my spiritual practices, wellness practices, yoga, meditation, you know, health, all the things that are important to me. I realize, like, I have an ego, and wherever I am, there my ego is, and I can pretend like it's not there, which is incredibly egotistical. And I did that for a lot of years. Yet my comedy, it, when I initiated it, it without knowing it, it became my way of becoming aware of my egotistical nature in all the the different realms. And 
And I love that because I feel like myself and other people, we can get more of the good juice out of our yoga practices, our spiritual practices, if we can recognize how our ego is getting its needs met in the you know, given practice. Like, oh, you know, I, I meditate more than you. So just so you know, I just... <laughs> so when we either think or uh, act like that without knowing it, our ego is controlling us more. But when we're aware of our ego's hiding square, it just gets to feel more significant Then I believe we take our ego's power away. Like we still have it, but instead yeah. of it, you know, being on at level 10, now it's on at level two or three because we're aware of its hiding places. You know, we're self-aware enough. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I started my comedy because I needed it for my own self-awareness. Oh, I really hear that. And it's interesting because... One of the things that I've noticed is that every comedian that I find really funny often has this counterpoint, this kind of layer that's just one level deeper that really drives their comedy. And, you know, what you're talking about is some really deep things in the, in the yoga path, you know, the annihilation of ego, the burning up of the false self and shedding light on some of our deepest, our deepest and most personal kind of habit patterns. And that's, that's no easy task. So I would love to know where you got started as a student. Like, where'd your journey begin as a student? Yeah, my, you know, what comes to my mind first is I was 18 years old and enrolled in uh, college where I grew up in Bowling Green State University in Ohio. And I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. And after about three months, I failed out of college. I just knew, oh. College isn't for me yet. And that was scary because I didn't know what was for me. I just knew college isn't for me. But pretty quickly thereafter, I connected to a very alternative health education company. I called the Czech Institute. They're based in San Diego, California. They're big on using exercise and rehabilitation exercise, performance exercise, stretching, nutrition, lifestyle modifications, as well as uh, going into the spiritual realms a bit to uh, teach health coaches, you know, more tools to work with clients. So I, I ordered a correspondence course from them. And, and when I watched that on VHS tapes, just to give my, give my age away, that was the first time I ever felt passionate about learning, like, ever like before I would have passion for sports but this was the first time I felt passion for learning something and for the first time ever I felt like I I think I have a future like in a career so as I you know newborn cult stumble my way into those studies uh, they were wonderful and and along the way the founder of the Czech Institute guy named Paul Czech you know, I, at the time I idolized, um, you know, going right. surrogate, father figure, all the things, you know, a little bit guru yeah. syndrome, nothing right. that he did, just young JP. So, you know, I, I, I respected him so much and still do, yet he started recommending books to me like Conversations with God, book one, and Liz Simpson's, the book on chakra healing. And, and he was the perfect messenger to bring me into this subtle world of, uh, I'll call it spirituality and energy, you know, the, the world that so many of us know is there, even though it's not necessarily punching our five senses in the face all the time, like our normal senses do. 
so yeah, once I started reading those books, I just, you know, my appetite for, I'll call it the spiritual life and getting to know myself beyond who I think I am, uh, really got ignited. Yeah, that's awesome. So this is something that I think a lot of people connect with. And I love the way that you've taken that into, you know, a real sense of maturity, which is not like going past that initial puppy dog phase where you just idolize, you know, the people that are the leaders and the tradition. And then you start to see really, really clearly and take it into yourself. So what does your spiritual practice look like today? Is that spark of the student still alive? And how do you keep it alive? Yeah, well, I meditate for 25 hours every day, uh, but, you know, I'm good. So I get that 25 hours of meditation in in about five minutes, you know, time's an illusion. So let's not be too literal. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll give you a few different answers on what my spiritual practice looks like, because, well, first, I I look at life as my spiritual practice. You know, I, I, I think something we all do to a degree for a period of time is we compartmentalize our spiritual practice, which almost goes against the nature of spirituality where like oneness and we're all connected and everything affects everything. Yet the way I used to do it was like when I'm meditating or reading or I'm in a like spiritual circle, like a group or a workshop, then that's my spiritual practice. Yet now I like, I look at my marriage. That's absolutely part of my, it's a huge part of my spiritual practice. I look at a relationship, like it's a sweat lodge ceremony meant to purify me and make me learn about me. And especially in the times of fire, the most uncomfortable, that's typically, I think, when the, the, the phoenixes rise and burn away, burning away who I'm not. So, you know, I, and then I look at like, as a, the time we're recording this, the world we live in to, today, like the coronavirus is, mm-hmm. I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And at a literal level, yeah, like it, it's a tragedy for sure. Yet I look at also through this, my spiritual lens and thinking like, how might this be happening for us? Is this potentially a tremendous wake-up call getting us all to take our self-development and our spiritual practices off the practice field and now onto the game field? Like everything that we've worked on with ourselves while times have been easy, I think now we're testing ourselves to a new limit and some of us will you know, take the red pill, some take the blue pill. And, you know, so interesting you, right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, I, the coronavirus, I don't think this is not spiritual. I, I think it certainly has a spiritual component. And I think the spiritual component is for us each to, you know, determine for ourselves, like, how might this be happening for me? Um, how many times would you see in society that, like, suddenly everybody has to, let go of all of their distractions and just be home, you know? So then like the only thing you're allowed to do is go to the grocery store. Otherwise you have to stay home. And so it's this kind of, you know, mandated retreat that some people are suddenly 
thrust upon some people without spiritual practices are suddenly like, you know, Googling how to meditate, you know, <laughs> how to do yoga, how can I calm my mind? And yeah. before they were just going to work and running around, you know, and then in the yoga community, it's, it is a huge test in the spiritual community. Sure. I feel it's a huge test to see, you know, who are you when you're not under the watchful gaze of your teacher? Who are yeah. you when it's you and all the people that annoy you because you're stuck, you know, in your home or in your apartment building or something like that. And you're just constantly bombarded with news and things like that. So yeah. one of the things I haven't really seen too much of, like, I feel like what I'm seeing in relation to everything we're being, we're interacting with, and maybe it's too soon, is that there's not so much humor yet around this situation. Yeah. It's very serious. It's very real. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of kind of palpability. The closest thing to something humorous that I saw was a deconstructed version of The Last Supper. And they had, you know, Jesus in the middle and then all the apostles in little boxes and they made it look like a Zoom screen. And then, then Jesus said, you know, Judas, you on yet? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, I, I love it. all on Zoom now. So, yeah. you know, what moments of kind of lightheartedness have you been able to bring to the current situation from this paradigm of, of consciousness and comedy? Yeah, you, you know, there's definitely moments, there's definitely plenty that that is capable of birthing lightheartedness. And there's some things that are, you know, call it like in a phase of trauma where like, as a comedian, I'd say like oh, humor is not appropriate. Like, you know, when I'm at a funeral, it's like I'm not going to make jokes about mm -hmm. you know the the, the lost friend. Um, it's just not the time. So you know what I don't make humor on now is people being sick. You know, people like in, in severe financial hardships, and mm -hmm. you know, so that's like. Cool. I think we can all agree, like maybe in a while we can look back and have some laughs about that. Yet yeah. with humor, timing is everything. And but now, like, but like, let's not put ourselves into solitary confinement of seriousness because that just creates more suffering. We can ask, what is funny about this? So, you know, I've made videos about like five do-it-yourself solutions for toilet paper when you run out, like during the toilet paper <laughs> apocalypse and like what's not funny about that and as well as safe sex strategies during the quarantine. Right. And I saw that. You know, That's funny. Yeah. And like put out a video, I think it was last week about uh, like uh, uh, couples you know, how to destroy your relationship in quarantine. It was a way of hopefully giving you know, portraying some of the stresses that a lot of people can relate to, like, okay, you're stuck, even some of us stuck with a person that we love the most, but like mm -hmm. spending way more time than we ever have before. And of course, there's going to be stresses that come up about that. So, you know, hopefully to give people some relief about that, I gave them a way to laugh about that. But yeah, you know, so for me, that. you know, it takes discernment, like what's, you know, what's, what can we look at lighthearted here and you know what is what is pretty sensitive and tender at this time that you know it isn't ripe for humor it makes a lot of sense it's it's it must be hard to navigate that even in the yoga world there was you know in recent uh, history of the you know yoga community we have the you know uh, appearance of numerous stories of sexual allegations brought up against you know teachers 
inappropriate touching and, yeah. and, you know, sexual attraction from students to teachers from teachers to students and all of this kind of like, you know, unspoken shadow side of the yoga community. And, you know, I remember like a long time ago, a video of yours before this whole thing came out. So it was almost prescient. Have you gotten any blowback from any, like anybody in the yoga community that's come and said, no, you're making comedy on things that are too serious. And, you know, are there people that come to you and say, oh, this is, you shouldn't be doing this and, and give you a lot of pushback? Um, you know, I, I haven't gotten a lot of pushback about the yoga video and, you know, some of the predatory sexuality issues that happen in the yoga world. And I will say this also, I feel a very strong call to help shine a light on that shadow. Be, and part of how I do that is through humor. For, so for some people, they might say, like, oh, too soon, JP. I'm saying, well, the time's never been better because not like for, for humor, but for helping people. And I can do that through humor because I think secrecy is what allows uh, abuse to continue. We know that through family secrets. We know that through, unfortunately, the Catholic Church and priests sexually abusing young boys. Secrecy allows abuse to continue. Now, when we shine the light on that, when we become a whistleblower saying like, hey, like whoever, wherever you are, yoga, spiritual, like here's something that can happen in the dynamic between two people when there's the illusion of power that one person carries, their ego can get a hold of them and can use sexuality as a way of giving you a sense of elevated status. So I definitely, like, I'll continue to portray that in my videos because I want people to be aware of the traps before they step in them. So hopefully they won't step in them. No, absolutely. Comedy is a great way to do that, you know, because again, it makes it approachable. And once you can laugh about something, it, even, even something quite serious, I find it's demystified. I mean, my yeah. own sense of humor is definitely rooted in some of my darkest moments and some of my darkest pain and being able to look back and laugh about it represents for me, a, definitely a cycle of healing and a potential to move past some things, uh, yeah. you know, in a way that in the midst of it, I couldn't have. So of I've course. also seen, I've also seen you on the flip side, making, poking some fun at kind of like woke culture and being like too woke. So then we pop up to the other extreme where then we have, you know, this uh, hyper political correctness where only a certain particular, you know, usage of words and ways of speaking is deemed as appropriate. So how have you been able to walk that line to, bo to poke fun at kind of both ends of the extremes? Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, I, how have I been able to walk the line? I think the answer starts with, I pay attention to the creative call in my heart, in my mind, and then I unapologetically voice my creative call. Now, is of course, when, when you're shining the light of awareness on a dysfunction that someone does, you're either going to laugh about it or get angry at you for it. So right. I, for me, it's important to be rooted in my purpose to my intention and not let myself get intimidated away from my purpose of helping people because someone gets offended because they, they just saw an insecurity of theirs portrayed that they were unconscious of. 
So it's important for me to be rooted in my call, my intention, what am I doing and apologize to nobody for it. And of course my intent isn't to hurt anybody. It's yeah. to help shine awareness. So yeah, you know, we're living in a time is if I laugh about it, just thinking about it where we've learned that we can reward ourselves for being a victim and I'm not making the light of, at all, victims of, of abuse and traumatic situations. Like, of course not. I'm talking about people who pretend they're that. People who victimize themselves, they become a connoisseur of outrage, find something to get offended about, and they pretend someone else is hurting them while they're hurting themselves. And the more they disempower themselves by making themselves a weak, powerless victim, the more of a sense of power they get because they feel significant when they can become a loud yelling victim. So, and I get that. We all need a sense of significance, yet here's what I love to invite people to do. You can get your sense of significance by being a disempowered victim. Cool. People will notice you because you're screaming and some will feel sorry for you, but everybody's going to pay attention to you because you're very loud. Or you can get your sense of significance through purpose. Now, you can't be a victim and on purpose at the same time. And I think, you know, I, I know so many of the listeners here have felt a sense of purpose. And for mm-hmm. many of us, even every day, we feel a sense of purpose. And we know that feeling of purpose is this inner fulfillment. It's even a, it, to me, it feels like a connection beyond myself. And that is such a beautiful feeling, purpose, that once you know that, you look at the idea of like, oh, like getting significant because I'm making myself the victim, getting offended that someone used a word when they weren't talking to me or about me. Like, okay, that, that sense of significance through victimization, it just feels like junk food after we've been nourishing ourselves on lush, locally farmed, farm the table, organic food. So, you know, I, I care about people. So if someone's under a hypnotic trance of victimization and they think they're actually being empowered, the more they disempower themselves, mm-hmm. I want to do my best to help wake people up to that. So I portray that archetype through, you know, a number of my videos and comedic material about the woke culture and social justice warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a hard, I feel it's a very difficult and tenuous space to be in because, you know, there are some really, really valuable points that are championed in, in, you know, in, in these circles that you're, that you're talking about here. And and at the same time, there are, there are these undercurrents of, you know, purposed or like claiming to try to find purpose in victimhood, trying to find that power in victimhood. And it's a dangerous, slippery slope that seems to just go into a, a never-ending cycle of, of, of increasing negativity. So if you can come in and insert a little bit of, of humor into that, that can break the cycle, that's awesome. I would imagine, though, that it hasn't always been uh, responded to with positivity. Have you gotten any, you know, have you been, have you been called out for, for trying to call the victimhood train out, or how's that gone? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's a good question. And first off, I, I just want to echo something you said about like some of these circles, like in the woke culture. Yeah, like a lot of them also stand for amazing change that needs to happen. 
And like everybody else, they also have a shadow, like welcome to the human condition. Um, but anyway, to your question, have I been called out? Um, I mean, not in a way that's really gotten my attention, I, like on YouTube comments and Facebook comments, Instagram comments. I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on comments and because I, I don't like to form my opinion about me based on other people's opinions about me mm-hmm. and positive or negative, like either way, it's pretty delusional. So, you know, I'm sure there's been people that have tried to call me out yet. I, I love to kind of blinders on and, and be dedicated to my purpose and unwilling to, you know, wafer from my purpose. So I guess I don't look for conflict. So it's kind of like I don't find it yet. As we know, the eyes only see and the ears only hear what the brain's looking for. If, you know, if I was looking for conflict, I'm, I'm sure I could find it and spend a lot of my time and energy combating that. And it's just like someone, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? No, I don't. Who's that? Okay, so he's someone kind of tied to a woke culture, kind of an extreme guy, but he, uh, he's been a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast a bunch of time. That's part of what like blew him up. And then he had an incredibly well-selling book a couple of years ago, I think called the 12 rules of life. Anyway, Jordan Peterson, he speaks out against like compelled speech and it's like, cool. He's got some great points and he pisses a lot of people off yet. He's someone who looks for conflict. He looks for, you know, the people who are outraged against him. He, he engages with that. And you just see him like, man, it like destroys his life. So long story short, I do my best to, you know, learn from examples of how not to do it and just be yeah. more focused and proactive on uh, representing what I stand for. Oh, I really hear you. I think that's really inspirational. I mean, I myself as a public person in the world of yoga have been through my share and continually get through my share of just negative comments and even just comments that are probably not even meant as negative, but definitely push some buttons for me. And I kind of sit in this in-between space where I feel like I want to go through comments or messages and see if there's a student question or something like that. Because part of my purpose is to ignite that spark of inspiration for students to keep people practicing yoga and making the world a better place through the spiritual practice. And I get the situation sometimes where I'm reading comments that I think are from a student and then there'll just be one that comes in that says that, you know, like you've destroyed yoga, you're a whore or something like that. And I was like, I really wasn't asking for that. I was like trying to go through and see, you know, if somebody had a question on my last video because they couldn't figure out how to do a forward bend. And then I'm like, ah, do I engage with this? Do I delete this? Like, what do I do? If I'm in a really good mental space, then it doesn't faze me. But I've been... You know, I go through ups and downs with my own emotional balance. I've been, and it's yeah. no secret to everybody who's on, who's listening on this podcast as a part of my community. I've struggled with depression since I was nine years old. So when I ha- when I'm in a little bit of a dark space, and like two or three of those comments come in, it's so hard for my mind yeah. not to just take it in and take it personally and be like, maybe they do have a point, and you know, maybe I am like going too far. And I start to question my own ego and my own, it brings up all of my insecurities and think, well, maybe I am just ego motivated and maybe I am this terrible person. And then I go after, you know, work through, work through all of the processes that I've learned over the last, you know, 20, 30 years to get back on my own mental path. 
So I really commend your ability to actually just not engage with the comments in that way. And I think it's a really good and powerful tool. You can do it as much as possible. So if, if that's, so then question for you, where's the space that you allow constructive criticism to come in? Because I feel like that's a really beneficial kind of challenge for growth. Like what's, do you have a few, is it, is it yeah. your wife? Like, is it someone in your inner circle that you allow to give you that quote unquote positive negative feedback? Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> and I love that point because the last thing I would want, or I think the last thing any of us would want is just a bunch of yes people around like, okay, now, now I'm just strengthening narcissism. Don't give me constructive feedback. Just <laughs> praise everything I do. And then you're like, then we have guru syndrome and we're just completely right. screwed. You know, there's a, to, to that beautiful question, there's a quote, I think it's from Theodore Roosevelt. I hear Brene Brown quote this quote all the time, and I'll butcher the quote, but it's something along the lines of, if you're not in the arena yourself, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in the stands, if you're a bystander, but unwilling to get in the arena yourself, then I'm not interested in what you have to say. If you're in the arena, like in your own arena, but if you're you know, if you're exuding your courage and putting yourself out there and your creativity, then I absolutely want to understand what you have to say, because that's a person who can likely see me in a more pure way than, you know, someone watching a football game, criticizing the quarterback, even though they've never played an ounce of, you know, professional football in their life. So Certainly my wife is a part of that and the constructive criticism doesn't always feel good, yet it's always beneficial. And, and I, I feel also very fortunate. My circle of friends, they're, and I, I think almost all of them are in the arena uh, yeah. in their own way. So I love that. And, you know, so a, a lot of time it's, it's the people I trust and I, I know them, therefore there's trust there. And they love me enough to not just tell me what I want to hear, but they love me enough to tell me what I need to hear and help me see my blind spots. So, yeah, that's something that, that's not a practice of like comfort. If I just, if we want comfort, like tell me how funny I am. Yeah. <laughs> but to, these people do help me grow by, by sharing their feedback with me. And, um, and, and yeah, and I've made changes along the way based on that feedback. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what that feels like. My husband is someone who never says it's awesome when it's not really, really good. (laughs) He's probably one of the hardest people to please in terms of any idea that I have or any new venture that I take to him. He's like, oh, that's interesting. Why do you want to do that? Is that really going to work out? You know, I'm like, oh, I thought this was awesome. And all the other people I talked to said it was awesome. But okay, like if you say maybe not, let's sit and think about it, you know? I I can relate to that. My my wife is the hardest person in the world for me to make laugh because she knows (laughs) me so well. It's hard to like have the element of surprise in there. And she says so often, and she says it in a playful way. She's like, JP, you're not as funny as you think you are. Well, you're wrong about that. But no, I, so I get that. She, I think my, my wife is the equivalent of your husband. Yeah, it's so good we have these counterpoints. You know, I think that's an <laughs> important grounding element, particularly if you're yeah. in the public where you may be getting adoration from yeah. people that know you remotely, but it's these people that are in your intimate circle that see you in the morning when you're not 
presenting your best self or you know presenting in, in the image of whatever it is out there that you you know that, that that you portray to the public this public role that you might embody i i'm reading a book right now i'm um, called in love with the world by yangi mingyur rinpoche which is a wonderful book he realized that he had taken on the role of teacher and that the that the role of teacher had puffed up his ego yeah. so much so that he felt that the only way he could get rid of that like ego attachment was to run away from his monastery and live as a wandering yogi and just like a basically a beggar on the streets of India to test himself to to go through that I'm like wow that's a huge consequence and yeah. I feel like so many people who would hear that and think wow that's really extreme but that goes all the way back to the very first thing that you mentioned about your source for why you take comedy into the spiritual world it's this annihilation of ego so it's this place of okay i want to burn through these roles that puff me up and just reveal what's underneath them so yoga students now are going to maybe listen to this and maybe varying levels of their practice it could be someone that's been practicing for 20 years that's like scratching their heads wondering Am I puffed up because of my 20 years of practice and how do I take that? <laughs> there could be a new student who feels super intimidated to enter into a world where there are people that have been practicing, yeah. doing involved in the spiritual community for 20, 30 years, their whole life are born into an ashram or something like that. And then they feel like, well, so now here I am and not only do I feel out of place, I don't understand the lingo, I'm not, you know, I'm not there at all. And you know, what do you have to say in terms of your experience with connecting kind of with that person who's just on the edge of, on the edge of, of, of this sort of spiritual culture, this new age culture, yoga culture that's out there, maybe he's interested, but is intimidated by it. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the evidence that they'll get benefit from it is found in their feeling of intimidation. There is a, a Joseph Campbell I absolute, uh, Joseph Campbell quote I absolutely love, which is the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. So love because that. you've got the fear, that the intimidation, that means there's something there for you. But we all know, like none of us feel intimidation about like going upstairs to watch Netflix, like <laughs> yeah, because there's not like that's not going to be incredibly conducive to our growth. It's not going to help us purify ourselves and get more authentic and shed old layers of psychological scar tissue. But when we feel intimidated about something, that typically means that something is working in our favor more than anything else. Now, then to take action on it and, and join the class or join the community, that means you have to be willing to encounter these feelings of intimidation to a greater degree. Because of course we can think about it like, oh, that's intimidating. I ain't going to do that. But if we feel the feelings of intimidation thinking about it and we know like, okay, to enter the cave, the feelings are going to intensify. I think we just need to remind ourselves of this thing. Even though the uncomfortable feelings feel bad, doesn't mean they're bad for us. It likely means they're good for us. Yeah. And there's a, another Brene Brown quote I love. I feel like I'm quoting all the time, like I'm incapable of having an original <laughs> thought of my own. But screw it. There's a beautiful Brene Brown quote. She says, he or she who's willing to become the most uncomfortable is not only the bravest, but rises the highest. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the same message as Joseph Campbell. The, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. 
So I would dare say the fact that you're, you feel intimidated about the, you know, the class, the community probably means you'll get a lot of benefit from it. Yep. I would really, I think that's great advice. I really, really agree with that. If I think back about every time I've experienced big shifts and growths within myself, whether, you know, whether it was going on a retreat or going to spend time in India, there were times I was really excited to go. And whenever I was really excited to go, it wasn't that monumental. But every time I had this feeling of like, oh, I don't want to go. I don't know why. I just don't want to yeah. do it. Like, ugh. then I would go because I bought the ticket and who wants to lose, you know, $2,000 of an airfare, right? So then you get on the, you know, and everything's booked. So then you get on the flight and then, and then I went there and it was difficult. Something always, something really, really powerful always came up. Yeah. Now there's a flip side to that, which is something that's going on in our yoga world now, which is kind of this post-authoritarian yoga culture that's happening right now. It's this question of if we dismantle the guru system and we don't have deferential authority to people in positions of power, then how do we, in that moment we feel intimidated, how do we get over it? Like, who do we trust in that moment? So you have a student that, okay, they're intimidated walking to the yoga studio. Great. They walk in. Awesome. That was a huge thing. Then they go into the class and then yoga is very different than say exercise where an exercise is like, oh, you want to sip a water, have a sip of water. Oh, you want to sit this one out, sit down. Yoga, it's kind of like, what's difficult for you? You want to sit with it and be with it. And then, and then we're asked to trust beyond the bounds of our logic. So then how does that, like, these are questions that I think are in flux that we're discovering yeah. right now in the yoga world. Not necessarily an answer, but it sounds to me like, you straddle these different thoughts very often. So what, what, where do you see yoga in yoga going, guru culture going in this kind of age of post-authoritarianism and at the same time recognizing that it's in these moments when we often don't want to, that we grow the most? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a big, beautiful question. And I think a question that and I love how tuned in you are are like asking this question, you obviously have your thumb on the pulse of the yoga world. So I won't pretend like I have a good answer. I probably have just a shred of opinion to throw at it. Uh, that won't be at all a complete thought yet. I, I think one of the things of the old paradigm, like trust the guru, and maybe there's a lot of like, you know, old archaic patriarchy stuff in there. That old paradigm was about trust the guru. And maybe the new paradigm's about trust yourself. Yeah, like, yeah, trust, tune in, like, cool, can you keep going? I know it's uncomfortable. I don't want to keep going. Got that. But trust yourself. Can you keep going? Yes, I can. Like, I'm not having a medical issue. I trust this is happening. You know, it, it reminds me last year in Costa Rica. I was taking part in a very intense sweat lodge ceremony. You know, it was done in, uh, it was a Timascal sweat lodge, which I believe is a, a Mexican tradition. And like, holy Lord, like my mind was telling me, JP, you're going to die. Like you, you have all the sensations, like it's just so hot in there. It's sweating. And then they put more water on the hot stones and now the steam, you can't breathe even more. You have no idea how much longer it's going to take. Yeah. There's a thing in there. There's the leaders where it's like in a, in a sense, I trust the leaders, but in a deeper sense, my trust was, was more devoted to myself. JP, your mind tells you you're going to die right now to get out yet. 
at a deeper level, do you trust that you're okay, even though this is horrendously uncomfortable? And that deeper trust answer is, yeah, uh, I'm okay right now. Mm-hmm. Now, if I would have got to the point where whatever, heart palpitations and like I start to get cold in there, uh, I'll trust my trust when it says get out in spite of what the leaders say. So the challenge about going into the journey of not trusting a guru, maybe we take guidance from a guru, but not having our deepest trust in that, but doing our best to have our deepest trust geared towards ourself. Nobody can externally validate our trust. And, and I think that's part of the challenge, but I also think that's part of the reward. So, you know, it's whatever that's worth. And, and I know the, the landscape of the question is way deeper and wider than this little one square inch of opinion that I have that centers around. I think all of us could benefit from taking that externally placed trust in a guru mm-hmm. and realizing the real guru is always found within and let me direct that trust first and foremost to myself. Yeah, I really, really like that. I also got connected into um, the image of the, the leaders of the sweat lodge. And what, what kind of came up for me as you were sharing that was that rather than having it be this, this being that you look to to validate your experience, that what they're modeling is essentially how to, how to go through this extreme circumstance yeah. in, you know, in alignment with their truth. So if they, were con- if they were focused on getting validation from you, that would take them out of their alignment and their path. So it's, it's almost like maybe the new model of authority is modeling, you know, rather than mm. giving and forcing direction. So it's just, well, I'm here and I'm holding the space. And if that benefits you, then great. Then you can come in here. And if I see something that I think can help you, great. But it's, it's you that has to learn to kind of model your own space and hold your own space. So maybe... Kino, you know, I think you... I think you just cracked the Da Vinci code on that. I think that's such a beautiful thought because also you look at parenting and we all know if a parent models being kind, consider if the parent models the behavior, it influences the child way more effectively. But if the parent does one thing, but tells the child to do something else, we know how ineffective that is. And in, and I, and I think I'm hearing you talk about like that same wise pattern just in a mm-hmm. different context. Yeah, I really, I, I, I'm, you know, I think that that's one of the biggest sources of inspiration for me is to see someone embody something that I was aspiring to. And then that would give me a little feeling like, oh, well, I believe I can do it too. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to become their follower. Just the fact that they did it kind of opens up that potentiality and possibility within me. Oh, they're a person, they're a human being and they did it. So, hey, maybe I can do it too. And if I'm around them, then for a little bit, maybe I'll, you know, catch a little bit more information, but it's always up to me. You know, it's always comes back to yourself. I love that. I think that's a very empowering perspective. So what is the next step for you? Because I noticed that you had kind of a comedy tour that had been you were going around and giving shows, but I would imagine yeah. that's not happening now in yep. the age of coronavirus. So Newsflash, the there's a coronavirus yeah. happening. I hear you. A lot of my events, you know, I'm, I also travel extensively yeah. and I'm just not doing any traveling. This is the most time that I've spent in my home in Miami since I can remember, I think probably since yeah. like, I want to say since, since high school, 
Um, Like I started going to India when I was really, really young and traveling in the U.S. before. And so it's this is a weird, very weird period. I really love Miami and the sun. I'm super grateful that I'm here at the same time. You know, uh, it's interesting, like what's next? You know, do you see like what's your vision for where where you want to take your purpose, where you want to take your comedy in the future? Yeah, well, I, I'll say much like you, I've, I've been home longer than uh, ever that I can remember. And, you know, so there's obviously things beyond your control and my control, what's happening in the external world. But I think what we can control and take bold action on is how we continue to serve our missions. Yeah, does how we serve it need to change? I know for me, like, yeah, there's some changes and, and that's it within my control. I know my purpose is to help people grow, heal, and awaken through conscious comedies. So can do in-person comedy shows. So something I started a few weeks ago is dedicated every Friday night until the quarantine's over. I'm doing a live stream comedy show where I'm giving people a night out while they're stuck in their own homes. And it's from my living room to theirs. And Honestly, it has been such a joy. Like the, the, the unique situation we're in, it necessitated this change in creativity, new expression. And it's a different comedy show than if you know, I'm in person in a theater or a club. Um, it, so it's just been an absolute joy and, and also at a codependent level, very heartwarming to receive so much like yeah. feedback like thank you JP like I'm stressed out over the weekend having this to look forward to on Friday and I get to laugh away my stress and you know it brightens my day so that's been you know that's kind of like part of what's next for me now and in fact I'll, I'll share this I have so much gratitude for this newfound creative expression that even when the quarantine's over and I'm able to go out and travel and do my in-person comedy shows, I'll still do this live stream comedy show. I don't know about every week, but it'll, it's like, there's too much joy here. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to stop this. So I hear you. anyway, that, that, that's a big part of what's next for me. Yeah. I, I really hear you. It's funny because I'm, I, I also decided to do much more live teaching during this yeah. period. And I think we're both on YouTube and the, the YouTube live is such a gift during this period. It's so easy to do and it's a great way to connect with so many people that are out there. So I, I fully support that and I hope everyone listening tunes in to your live comedy show and gets a little bit of laughs out of it to, like you said, help awaken and de-stress a little bit in these challenging times. So we've got one more thing that is a little bit uh, different in this podcast is that whenever I have a guest, I always end with asking my guests if they have any questions for me so that it is also a two-way street. And I know I didn't really prepare you for that, but it seems like you're a quick thinker. And I, so I'll turn it over to you to see if there's anything that pops into your mind that you might like to ask me. Yes, and thank you for spinning the bottle my way. And I love the energy of spontaneity. So thank you for not preparing me for it. So, <laughs> you know, Kino, one of the things that I'm curious about you is what's one of the biggest, I'll call it, uh, beliefs that you've changed. Uh, I, I want to say recently or in recent years, but uh, a belief that you've essentially used to have, but you've outgrown it to a new level of thinking. Oh. 
Well, that's a great question. And I really love that and connect with it a lot. I, I feel that my entire spiritual journey has been bumping up against these limiting beliefs, questioning them, growing past them, bumping up against them, questioning them, going past them, almost like update, constantly updating the operating system of the mind. And it's just this constant, never ending process. One of the things that has been that, that, that I really felt like I needed to sit with and has come up for me recently after a host of kind of dead end situations that I really looked at as a mirror was this idea that um, you have to fight in certain circumstances, fighting in general. There is almost this antagonistic paradigm of betterment or achievement, which kind of is this, this motivation to constantly be the best, to constantly one-up yourself or one-up someone else, and then to, to, to feel that, that in, or, in that paradigm, there's this constant you know, warfare between one another and between yourself. So I've had a situation that came up where I felt that I, I really gave it my all in an effort to fight for what I believed was right and really stand up to, you know, a, stand up to a, someone in a situation that I felt like I need to stand up for myself. I need to stand up for what's right, for what's morally right. And really felt like, yes, this is, you know, we're, we're going to, and it didn't work out well. So yeah you know, it kind of blew up in my face and I feel like, wow, well, what was, so I questioned, what was the issue with that? And I really saw that there, that there was this, there was this paradigm, this of, of kind of betterment, this paradigm of fighting, this paradigm, which is very much in the culture of the United States of America about be the best, you know, and that you've got to rise up to the occasion and, you know, this gung-ho attitude of, hyper achievement. And I realized that as long as I was operating in that paradigm, there was this antagonism that would always be there against myself and against others. And that, there, that this would by itself prevent any possibility of a peaceful resolution. So that even if I was declaring that I wanted peace, if that paradigm was still working as my undercurrent operating system, I would always revert to that. You know, there's that, there's that Navy SEAL quote that's been going around lately that says, you know, we don't rise up to the challenge in the difficult situation. We sink to the level of our training. Mm. Well, if we're not Navy SEALs, we don't have training. That training is just whatever the operating system is of the mind. And it's these yeah. subconscious patterns. Like I didn't know that I had bought in to this paradigm of be the best. I just didn't really know that, you know? I think maybe someone could have seen that from the outside. Like, yes, Kino, of course you want to be the best. Like, look at you. You have all these goals for yourself. Like, you want to write a bestseller. You want to, of course you do. But I didn't see how, you know, how insidious that was and how deeply held and subconsciously that was influencing all of my behaviors. So then when I sat with a situation that I proclaimed that I wanted peace about, yet I went into war, then I sat there with kind of the broken pieces of, 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 of everything that had fallen in the result of this conflict. And I sat there and I realized, wow, I worked that paradigm of like, be the best and fight for what is right. And the whole fight paradigm, I worked that until its end I, I, and, and it failed. I'm so grateful that it failed. Because If I had succeeded, I would have thought that that paradigm was valuable and valid and yeah. worthwhile. But just sitting with the failure of it, I was like, there's another paradigm. So it's instant, and I, I so I've recently kind of updated the whole operating system on my mind so that instead of competition, there's togetherness, and mm. instead of againstness, there's possibility for true community. That there's a value beyond sort of metrics. There's a value that that that's more intimate and more personal, and is more you know is more connected to to feeling, to sensitivity, to purpose. 
and, and is, is much more kind of intrinsically rooted rather than extrinsically rooted. And so it's yeah. been a, that's been a really, really, really big shift for me. That's freaking beautiful and inspiring to hear, you know, I, it, yeah, it, kind of like what that says to me, because I, you know, you shared about you and I also think that pattern probably applies to everybody. And certainly I know it does me, you know, so it makes me think what, what worked for us will eventually work against us if we're not willing to outgrow the old way, kind of like the, the third grade level of, you know, fight and, you know, win, be the best, like, cool, that's a level and welcome to infinity. There's always another level. And being at the third grade level, that, that works when we're at the third grade level, but just imagine like, cool, I was nine years old and third grade was awesome. So I stayed there and now I'm 39 and still in third grade. And of course, like dummy me, like I wouldn't know it, but just like you said, like other people can probably say, oh, yeah, JP, <laughs> that's not serving you anymore. But yeah, how, how beautiful it is to recognize the, the mind level of thought and the pattern and the way of being that I would, I would guess really served you for a time mm-hmm. by realizing like, wow, and now there's a new way that will serve me better. Uh, yeah. To me, one being willing to change themselves, uh, their self is very inspiring. And it's something our, our society kind of looks down on, where it's like we deem people unstable if they change their mind, or it's a politician, we say they flip-flop. It's like, well, last person I'd want to trust is someone that never changes their mind or changes their way of being. So anyway, I get a lot of inspiration. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. The other side of that is, you know, with the sort of the crumbling of the old, it's not exactly like it was an instant birth of the new. So I yeah. still very much feel in a period of kind of rebirth, discovery, and, you know, like almost like this new ground is tenuous. And I'm not sure. I'm, I'm more unsure of myself than I think I, I have been, you know, since I was maybe... I don't know, again, in high school or something like yeah. that. And, and, I, and I, I'm embracing that in a way that I didn't, that I probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And there's so many really interesting new things that are coming that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even imagined possible. So I'm really excited about where it's going to go. And for the first time in my life, I don't really have, you know, I'm going to have loose goals of things that I would like to achieve, but I have more of a feeling that I'm embodying in my everyday life. And I'm also in a space of just kind of trusting that if I embody that feeling, that what comes will be in alignment with that, which is a totally new space. That's amazing and super freaking exciting. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes. And I'm super grateful for connections like this, where we get to share really wonderful space. And I hope that this time together um, inspires people to put in the work to laugh about it a little bit when the timing is right, of course, and to, you know, just continue practicing. So thanks so much, JP, for joining. I've really, really enjoyed this time with you. Yeah, thank you, Kino, for having me. I appreciate you, sister. Yeah, super. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. 
You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.